Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. Tonight, today is the fifth Sunday, the final Sunday in a series about the disciples' joyful life of surrender. In the last month, we've been on the subject, uh, the same subject, and we've We've addressed in varying degrees, in varying ways, the ongoing friction that comes between American independence and surrender to the Lord. They're both beneficial, but there are times when these two beneficial things compete one against the other. And with that tension in mind, we're investigating the biblical concepts of the Lord's power, of the Lord's promises, of the Lord's precepts, last week the Lord's principles. Of course, as we surrender to each of these, we enjoy blessed and anointed outcomes. Now, if none of those things made sense to you, you've been on Mars for the last four weeks, don't worry, go to livingfaithtabernacle.org and listen to the audio of all those lessons and get caught up. Turn to somebody beside you and say, he's serious about that. Last week, our session had to do with the Lord's principles. Principles are not the precepts, but the precepts are built on principles. The behaviors that we live and act upon are built on principles. Throughout last week's session, we came back to the example that I'll simply call the pool example. No running around the pool. Warm summers, active children looking for cooling refreshment often dips in the pool. Coordinated with responsible parents saying, don't run around the pool. That's the rule. That's the precept. But it's not the principle. The principle behind it is simple. Safety for yourself and for others. So under the banner of safety, loving adults issue the precept, no running around the pool. What do the children think about that? Well, as they mature, they understand and surrender to the principle in varying degrees. Some do very well and successfully transfer the principle of safety to other things. Some don't mature enough, don't understand enough, and live by the life of hard knocks. How is all this important for discipleship? Well, the Word of the Lord gives us precepts and promises to direct us. He also gives us principles. And unlike precepts and promises, principles aren't as descriptive. So living by principles is more challenging than living by precepts. Precepts requires thought. They require reasoning. They require adapting to new situations and changing situations. 
So if I'm going to be a sincere follower of Christ Jesus, then I'm going to conscientiously apply principles to my living. And though it's hard work, that's Jesus' design that we mature and surrender to his principles. Jesus explained in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, he explained this plan. Some people think when Jesus came, the Old Testament was thrown out the door. People who think that don't read the Bible. Was that clear enough? The Scripture, Jesus Himself said this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. In the context of that passage, Jesus' issue with the hearing audience was that they were not seeing the principle behind the precept. If you will, that group was serious about not running around the pool, but they were fine with running on other slippery surfaces. That audience was fine without running around the pool, but they figured they could get away with skipping around the pool. They were eloquently missing the point, the precept, the principle rather was safety. They were missing the principles. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus' intention is that somewhere along the discipleship journey, we become mature enough to recognize it's not all about the do's and the don'ts of the precepts. It's not all about the bonuses, the blessings, and the goosebumps of the promises. But the mature in Christ recognize there are some principles that make this whole thing float. And I need to get mature enough to recognize sometimes there's not a precept and sometimes there's not a promise, but there is a principle and I need to do my level best to live by that principle. Why does the Lord use principles? We talked about that last week. I'm not reviewing that again. What are we supposed to do with the principles? How do we live with that? I will review this again. If I'm going to live by principles, here's some things we need to do. Number one, we need to recognize the battle that is very real. How many humans are in the room today? All right, this is good for all of us. As long as I am human, my sinful humanity looks for ways to get around the precepts. If you don't believe that, have or work with children. Our sinful humanity seeks ways to work around the precepts. But surrendered disciples look for ways to fulfill the precepts and the underlying principles. We need to understand that serving Him by the principles, there's always going to be a battle. As long as I'm human, there will be 
a battle. Second thing is just to get it down pat, settle it in our minds, realize it, make a commitment to it. I need to surrender to the Lord's principles. I need to surrender to the Lord's principles. I need to recognize and accept discipleship is bigger than the Ten Commandments. Discipleship is more broad. It's more encompassing. Discipleship changes the core values by which we live. If I'm going to follow Jesus, there comes a point when I must surrender to the principles. Now, thankfully, another element that we really need to keep in mind in this is be filled with and follow the Holy Spirit. Last week, we went through some passages of Scripture in John and Romans supporting that. Listen, while Jesus called His followers, that's us, to rise up to this higher calling, this maturity of living by principles, He also provided us the greatest gifting we could ever imagine. His Holy Spirit, a portion of God's essence living inside of us. When I feel like I'm not smart enough to follow God by principles, when I'm filled with the Spirit, His Spirit will lead and guide me into all truth. When I think I don't have enough reasoning power to work it out on my own, His Spirit is the spirit of truth. He gave us his spirit as motivation and direction to live in his higher principles. So we need to be filled with it. And if you haven't received that gift, hear me clear as a bell. What is the matter with you? Best thing at the hands of God you could ever imagine. Why wouldn't you want it? It comes for free. It was provided by His sacrifice on the cross. Why wouldn't you want to feel the power of the great Creator inside of you? Come on, it's for every one of us. Not just to be filled with it, but to follow it. Turn to somebody beside you and say, follow it, dummy. Now turn back and say, that wasn't very nice. It only makes sense if I've been filled with the Spirit to pay attention to it. But that's not always easy. Yeah, back to rule number one, recognize the battle. Paul wrote about it all through the book of Romans and into Galatians. There's a battle going on. But I need to follow, I need to surrender to the leading of the Spirit. Now, when I do, when I'm filled with the Spirit, when I've surrendered to the principles, when I follow after the Holy Spirit, here's what I come to realize and recognize. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 10. Paul described the disciples' attitude toward practicing principles. In Ephesians 5 and verse 10, the Scripture says this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. The scripture does not say randomly do whatever comes to mind. The scripture does not say don't sweat it, roll with whatever's happening. 
Scripture says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Verse 15 of the same chapter. So be careful how you live. Live like those who are wise. Verse 17. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I've said it for years. I will probably say it until I'm away from a microphone in a public venue. But I do not believe that anyone who goes eternally to salvation in heaven will be surprised that they're there. I believe that hell will be filled with folks that are surprised that they're there. Because serving the Lord is not a random act. It is intentional. It's pursued. There is something about carefully determining what it is that makes the Lord happy. It's a thoughtful progression and pursuit. Because of our attitude, we daily interpret the Lord's principles in ways that will make Him the happiest. In a final way to apply the Lord's principles in our lives is to engage biblical thoughts and discussions. Now just stay with me here a minute. When it comes to applying the Lord's principles in our lives, who or what will I allow to help me with that? When there's a principle of God's Word, and I'm not real clear how to apply it, how am I going to figure that out? Well, you know what? If I'm trying to apply the Lord's principles to my life, doesn't it make sense to refer to the Lord's power for help? and to the Lord's precepts for some guidance, and to the Lord's promises for better understanding, before I go seeking somewhere else or society or some other person or some other situation, doesn't it stand to reason if I'm going to live by the Lord's principles in a pleasing fashion that the place I would glean instruction would be first by his power and his precepts and his promises to help me lead the way. Engage biblical thoughts and discussions. Now, there are a lot of examples and I thought about going through a few examples today. Didn't make it last week. Thought about going through some today and we will one, but I'm I don't have time to go through a bunch. But in Christian training in the past, we've gone through some. And we will again. For instance, you know, how, how do we please God as consumers in this world? How do we please God as consumers of media? Consumers of food? Consumers of entertainment? What are the Lord's pleasing choices regarding those things? Or this question, how do we please God in our public lives? When people see us, hear us, relate to us in our relationships, in our manner of dress, in our finances, in our language, what pleases the Lord? 
And we'll consider some of those questions. Those are all principle-based questions. You roll through these kinds of understandings to come to what is most pleasing to the Lord. We'll do that again in a future Christian training or in another teaching venue. But today, I'd like to look at one principle that Jesus himself said is one of the two most important that there is. Last week when we read Jesus' words about fulfilling the law in Matthew 5, if you'll remember after he made those initial statements, he gave six examples illustrating his point of fulfilling the law. He started out with, we used last week I believe, you've heard it said you shouldn't murder. He said fulfill that by stop being angry with people. He said, you shouldn't commit adultery. He said, you'll fulfill that by not lusting in your life. Now, I want you to notice another example that we didn't talk about, but it's in the same passage. In Matthew 5 and verse 43, here's what the word of the Lord says. Jesus again is speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, now Jesus' take on things. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Jesus is given this illustration how he didn't come to Erase and negate the law. He came to fulfill it. He gives this illustration about loving your neighbors and your enemies and loving those who curse you. First of all, he says, Look at my example. I don't block out the sun every morning for the people who I'm mad at. He says, Follow my example. I don't stop the rain or start it based on my relationship with people. And then he gets really where the rubber meets the road. Now really, if the only people you love are the easy people, how are you any better than the folks who don't even claim to follow me? Jesus, pretty direct. Where's the stretch there? How are you really stepping out into some new transformed way if the only people you love are the people that ordinary folks who don't even claim Christ love? Jesus is very straightforward. Disciples need to love people. All people. Neighbors and enemies. It's the Lord's principle loving others. In fact, Jesus, this isn't the only time he steps into this territory. If you look in your Bibles, in Luke chapter 10, he explains the principle even more. In Luke 10 and verse 25, here's what Jesus taught. 
starts with a question offered by a lawyer who stood up in a crowd and he thought he'd put Jesus on the spot. And he says to Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him in this group setting, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? He doesn't give an answer. He asks him, well, tell me what you think, pal. So he answered in verse 27 and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him in verse 28, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. There's your answer for eternal life. And Jesus validated these two commandments in another place in Scripture. In Matthew, he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. According to Jesus, loving God with everything and loving neighbors as ourselves are primary commandments. And by everything else, everything else is built on those two principles. Everyone say principles. Because it's very important for us to grasp these two things that Jesus gives. They're not precepts. They're not promises. They're principles. Which means you and I have to work through the daily application of these things. Yes, they're powerful commandments. If I get them right, Brother Thompson, eternal life is guaranteed. I'm going to spend my time in heaven if I get it right. But the Lord didn't give us a direct precept. He gave us principles. Love the Lord thy God with everything. Well, how can that be interpreted and understood? Go back to week number one, surrender to his power. I won't preach it right now. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's a principle. How does it work in real life? Well, you know what? This guy who asks the question gets Jesus' attention. He realizes that's a principle. He's told me, love my neighbor as... That's a principle. I need some more clarification. I need to know how that works in the day-to-day. And so he pops up in verse 29 with this. But he, it's the same lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Wanting to justify himself. Now, now here we are again. We're right back to that independent humanity battling against surrendering to our Savior. We're right back to that humanity of the little child that says, well, I, I'm not supposed to run around the pool. Can I skip? Surely I can skip. I wasn't really running. Seeking to justify himself. Trying to prove a point. Right back to the same place. The guy's looking for some wiggle room to the Lord's direction. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll love the nice neighbors and the convenient neighbors, but do I, do I really need to love the nasty neighbors? I mean, come on, the irritating people, I need to love them. But notice this, Jesus doesn't run from the question. 
in the next verse, in verse 30, Jesus answered and said, well, here's how it is. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, he stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Travelers attacked, he's left half dead, he's clearly in need. Verse 31, now by chance, that's interesting, by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. They both made sure not to get too close. I think both of these guys, Brother Denny, were from the great Northwest. It was a group of arm's length people. I'd like to worship with you. I'd like to have a few laughs occasionally. But at the end of the day, I'm not really interested in getting involved in your mess. There it is. Saw it. Recognized it. And walked away from it. The other side of the road. Both of these men like the arm's length approach. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Evidently, in the mind of Jesus, no matter what the priest said, no matter how the Levite talked, those gentlemen did not have compassion. Because in the mind of Christ, if there's real compassion, it leads to action. Something is going to happen if there's genuine compassion. The Samaritan had compassion, and it moved him into action. Verse 34, here's what it says. So he went, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, said, take care of him, whatever more you spend when I come again. I will repay you. Then Jesus caps the story in verse 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? He responds, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Loving neighbors involves action. Now here's the thing. We have the privilege of seeing this parable as outsiders. We see the players, we see the plot, we see the action from seats that are far removed from the event. But we only learn about being neighborly by placing ourselves inside the story. Again, as Americans, and I love being an American. I am grateful for the United States of America. But as a disciple of Christ, I'm clearly aware there are thought processes of Americans 
that are contrary to Christ. As Americans, there are times we have some unique issues when it comes to surrendering. One of those issues is this. We see ourselves as special. Whether we realize it or not, we often approach discipleship seeing ourselves in that story as the needy ones. Maybe when we read the story, we don't do that, but when we attend and participate in a body of Christ, that's the way we act. Well, I'll, I'll participate, but I want you to know that I'm the roadside journeyman who's in need of help. We're often looking for others to help us. We relate to the injured traveler. We're quick to criticize the passers-by and quick to justify our own open hands. We often see ourselves as the man in the ditch seeking good Samaritans to help us, to show us mercy, to bind our wounds, to pay our bills. Which is all fine and good, when we're half dead. You see, Americans who find ourselves special believe we need treatment when we stub the toe. Special Americans believe we need special care when we have a headache, when we're down with a touch of the flu. That's what special Americans, people should cater to me. Folks should be helpful to me. And we place ourselves in the story. Here's the thing. When we are beaten and bruised at the hands of robbers, we were just trying to go forward on life's road. And there are times when we are half dead, coming to Christ and the people of God. We certainly need to be ministered to. But I, I think it's important as special Americans that we need to ask ourselves, am I really that Injured? Am I seriously suffering or am I merely more interested in being served rather than serving? Am I more interested in being helped rather than helping? You see, in Jesus' story, it's hard to live like the neighborly Samaritan when I'm regularly seeing myself as the injured traveler. Maybe maybe that's not the issue for us. Maybe that's not what places me at odds with Jesus' neighborly parable. The priest and the Levite were so busy with life that they weren't available for close encounters of the neighborly kind. So busy in their own worlds, their own personal matters, their careers, even church business, that they squelched compassion for people. They snuffed out 
the spiritual motivation to be concerned for others. No longer were they interested in getting close enough to folks to discover their genuine cuts, bruises, and broken bones. As Americans, can I just raise our self awareness that we are often so consumed with our individualism that we assume someone else will handle the neighborliness. Ah, that's not my place. Someone else will call. Someone else will talk to them. Someone else will show interest. Someone else will have coffee with them. Someone else will listen to their story. We've got people for that. Individualism likes to keep others at arm's length and leave the messy business of loving neighbors to someone else. But, but Jesus taught you and I aren't going to be neighborly when we're strolling on the other side of the road. Hopefully, prayerfully, sound of my voice, there are those who we can see ourselves in this story as the compassionate Samaritan. I pray that we can recognize one who loved his neighbor as himself. Through compassion, the Samaritan considered, what if that was me? What if I was exposed on the side of the road, left to die. What if that had happened to me? What would I want my neighbor to do on my behalf? And the merciful Samaritan knew the answers. In verse 34, I remind you again, he went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured on the wine and oil, set him on his own animal, brought him to the inn, took care of him, and left money to pay. In Jesus' poignant story detailing the lawyer's question, I'm asking each of us to raise the issue, which player am I? Where do I fit in the story? which is exactly the point that Jesus was making. In verse 36, Jesus turns to the lawyer then and says, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, Go and do likewise. I want you to notice something with me. The lawyer's opening question was this. Who is my neighbor? But Jesus' closing question was, which one was neighborly? The lawyer wanted some precepts and some descriptions. Give me some locations. Give me some heights. Give me some weights. Give me some hair colors, some skin colors, some eye colors. Give me some definitive reasons so I can look across the crowd and say, neighbor, I'll help you. Not a neighbor. Sorry, pal. You, neighbor, love is coming your way. You, not so much. We'll see you. That's 
what the lawyer was looking for. Give me some nice descriptions so I can pick and choose the application of neighborly love. And Jesus is saying, it's not the point. The point is not who is your neighbor. The point is be neighborly. The illustration wasn't about three or four or five different kinds of wounded people. The illustration was about three possible disciples of Christ. Which one would really act as he designed? As I open my eyes in the house of God and the body of believers, as I look at, at fellow disciples, it's my prayer the Lord would help me. Who today is the injured traveler? Who in this audience is the walking wounded? As I participate in the people of God, I don't want to see myself as the traveler on the roadside, but I want to come into this house among these people in this group, and I want to be able to say, who can I assist? Who can I serve? Who needs comforting words who needs encouragement who could use a bag of groceries who needs tires on their car who needs help with their lawn whose questions could I answer for them who can I teach more about Christ Jesus who can I walk beside for a time on this journey as we make our way toward our heavenly Savior Individualism is easy. Surrendering to others is work. It's burdened concern. It's loving involvement. In this, our final message on surrender. I hope we realize that disciples of Jesus aren't following Him as individuals soaking up personal blessings. Rather, Jesus calls us to serve, to surrender to His people. One more passage of Scripture. Long before America existed, in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul envisioned our American struggle with discipleship. Look, look what Paul wrote in Galatians 5. In verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. There it is. Freedom. Freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Independence. 
but through love serve one another. And then look, look what Paul includes. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let's bow our heads, talk to the Lord for a moment. Lord, you know our spirits, our minds, and our actions. And Lord, as a frail human battling sinful flesh, you know, Lord, I have fallen short in serving your people. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. Lord, not only am I sorry, but I'm committed to change. I pray now, Lord, biblical repentance. Too often, Lord, I've ridden, Lord, the wave of the priests and the Levites and cruised past people that are suffering. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me. And I make a commitment to change. Lord, you know when I have kept people at arm's length. You know, Lord, when I have stepped back fearful of my own infection, fearful of the transfer of the wound, fearful of how the situation might appear, fearful of the hassle, fearful of the inconvenience of my daily doings and my pursuits of the things I have going on. Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you, oh Lord, to forgive me. I'm determined to change. Lord, if there's a Samaritan among any group of people, I want to be that Samaritan. Lord, if there's one who lives your precious principle to love your neighbor as yourself, Lord, I desire to be that person. I want to, Lord, worship you from the bottom of my heart on Sunday. I want to know, Lord, and have you know that I magnify you. I love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And yet, Lord, I want people to know that my commitment to you is to them. Oh, Lord, let me live in a fashion, God, that empowers and believes and reaches to people. Two verses later, the Apostle Paul said this in the book of Galatians, and I want you to raise your eyes and read to the screen verse number 16 with me. Look what Paul said after he saw the battle of liberty and freedom and independence against service. He said in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. You join with me in that prayer of repentance and commitment. Our success lies in the Spirit. And I'm inviting this entire house in prayer right now to raise your hands and ask the Spirit of the Lord to flood this house. Would you raise your hands right now? Lord, I want to be filled, overflowing, led, and directed by your power and your spirit. Come on, men and women, mom and dad, young and old, invite the presence of the Lord. God, move! 
in this house right now, Lord. Sweep into this place, oh Lord. Stir us, oh God, from head to toe. Stir us, Lord, to the depths of our souls. God, we invite a move of your holy anointing in this house right now. We invite a stirring of your powerful spirit in this house right now. Lord, we invite you, God, to minister and move in my life, Lord, in my household, Lord. Oh God, I want your spirit to lead me. I want your spirit to empower me, oh Lord. I see it, oh God. My success is in your holy anointing. My success, oh Lord, is in walking by your spirit. Move, oh Lord, in my life. Move, oh Lord. I want to walk in your power and in your spirit. Oh, in this room, there ought to be some men who stand to their feet, reaching out to a holy Savior. In this house, there ought to be some women of God who say nothing else matters, but I've got to be moved by the Spirit. I've got to be stirred by the Spirit. Come on, church, all over this house, we're inviting a powerful stirring of the Holy Ghost if it's been a while since you've been renewed. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the Spirit within you right now is that opportunity. Right now is that moment. Right now is a time to be renewed and stirred in the Holy Ghost. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of the series or join us online at livingfaithministries.church Flows in the Holy Ghost You give me peace